I've always had this fantasy. Okay, it's it's more than a fantasy to start my own conference, you know, to have dozens, a hundred, or even hundreds of people who are at my conference and have paid to be there. I've been a speaker at several conferences, and I'm certainly interested in being a speaker at more conferences. If you want to drop me a line, I'm happy to turn up and deliver something on stage. But what about you? Is this something you would like? Is it a goal? Is it an ambition that you have? What would that do for your business? Would it make you money? Well, very few of the conferences I have attended are started or conducted on the basis of making the organizer some money. Now, if they do, that's a nice bonus, as long as they cover costs. That's the main financial consideration. But here's what starting your own conference network will do. One, at the very least, it's going to raise your profile among people, the kinds of people you want to attract. Number two, it's going to change how other people see you. They might see you as more of an authority than they would otherwise. And number three, it's going to allow you to connect with some more amazing people. Today's guest, Yota Trom, is going to share with you how she came to start her own network, her own conference, step by step, the success she's seen to date, and where she's taking it next. Big plans. This is episode 93 of the Training Business Podcast. Hey, and welcome to the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Every week, we bring you exciting news and interviews with training business experts and training business entrepreneurs from around the world. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. Here's your host, Mark Garrett Hayes. Hi, welcome to the show. My name is Mark Garrett Hayes, and I'm the host of the Training Business Podcast. This is the show for freelance trainers, for training business owners, for training consultants, just like you and I all around the world. And we have listeners from all around the world. The goal of this show and this episode and every episode of this show, it's the same thing. It's to help you to start to grow and to scale a profitable training business. As I said before the music, I've always had this notion, this idea, this goal to have one day my own conference and to build a network around it. I love being on stage, not in an egotistical sense, but in a facilitator sense, sharing the stage, sharing a message from the stage and using the stage as a platform around which to build business. Now, you've no doubt seen other people do it. So my question to you is, have you been a speaker yet? Have you been on stage? What did you like about that experience? Were there any opportunities which arose from that experience. So taking this a stage, forgive the bad pun, taking this a stage further, what about building your own conference, your own summit, and your own branded network around that? Well, that's what today's guest Yota Trom is doing. In fact, it was at Chris Ducker's Youpreneur Summit in London in 2018 that I met Yota. Yota is a woman, she is a coach, and she has a passion for tech. So if you put those three together, what do you get? The Women in Tech Club. That's Yota's brand. Over 100 attendees in London, and now she's expanding to Amsterdam. Yota, hi. Welcome to the show. Hi, Mark. It's great to be here. And you're in Greece this afternoon. Yes, I came here for the lockdown and I have spent over three months now. <laughs> so the weather must be terrible. 
Yes, I'm very unlucky. It's at 30 degrees and people are swimming in the sea. Oh, lovely, lovely, fantastic. You're the second person from Greece I've had actually on the show. Um, yeah, the first person was back in 2018. Um, and that was actually someone from Crete. Does Crete count as Greece in your mind? I don't know. It does. Yes, it, it does. does. Okay. All right. Yeah. So he was a leadership trainer and um, he came on the show telling me about how he came to the training business. And I think that would be a great first topic to explain to people listening, what is it that brought you to the training business and what do you currently do? Um, so my background has always been in technology. I started as a software engineer and I spent over 14 years uh, working in tech. But my true passion has always been uh, communication and working with people, helping people to achieve their dreams. So when I moved to London about seven years ago, I, the environment and the open mind culture that there is in London uh, led me to actually start following that dream. So I started by doing a health coaching course uh, for two years. And then from there, I decided I want to continue my studies. So I attended a postgraduate degree on applied positive psychology and coaching psychology. And uh, from there, I decided to combine my background in business with my new training on coaching and positive psychology. And the direction I felt uh, really drawn into was helping from first-time managers all the way to C-level executives to develop their leadership style, to implement humanistic leadership within um, their, their work and with the way they are managing the people in order to create an environment where actually people can flourish, um, where they feel they can bring their real self, where they can express really and they can grow uh, within that environment. Okay, that was all fantastic, all in one breath. <laughs> <laughs> so look, the reason I, I invited you on the show, we'll, we'll come to that in a moment, but we met at Chris Ducker's event, the Youpreneur Summit in London in 2018, if I recall correctly. Yes, that's correct. And one of the reasons that you came there was that you were looking for ideas or thinking about how you could combine your background in tech with your affinity with coaching and make a business out of this. So what you've done recently, I think, is really, really interesting is that you have a background working with Amazon, you've worked with Yahoo, um, you're obviously accredited in coaching, as you said, and those tech company experiences plus your coaching abilities have led you to create something called the Women in Tech Club. So for people listening, what exactly is the Women in Tech Club and whom does that serve? So I came up with that idea um, initially uh, starting from um, the different things I heard uh, during the Youpreneur Summit. But actually what really triggered me was about um, a year ago from today, I was doing a short contracting job uh, for a consulting agency. And uh, that agency, they had a lot of software engineers that they were placing in different projects as contractors. And what really surprised me, it was actually that um, in the company, there were 75 men and me. Uh, so that is the first time that I became so aware about the gender gap within the technology industry. I would say that having worked in large corporations, I was like enough not to feel that I was a minority. And actually, I have been very well respected um, within my roles, irrespective of my gender. So until then, I wasn't really conscious about um, that gender gap. 
So after that contract, I tried to join different communities around women in tech, but I felt that there was something missing. And uh, for me, what was missing was a space where actually men and women can come together. They can have an open communication. They can talk about our challenges, uh, their challenges, because I believe that um, in order to decrease this gender gap, in order to make more inclusive environments, we need to understand where the other person that is sitting in front of us is coming from. What are their challenges? How they feel? So um, I didn't find something like that around. And that's why I decided uh, to start a community on my own. Uh, so when I actually started uh, the, the Women in Tech Club, I envisioned it as a small group where we would meet regularly with people and we would offer support to each other. And obviously, because I come from uh, positive psychology and coaching background and tech, I wanted to kind of marry these two and create an environment that is more focused on soft skills, on personal development, on human-to-human connection, rather than the tech side, which there are already amazing communities out there that are actually focused on helping uh, people or women build their tech skills. And just how successful has the Women in Tech Club been? And I'd like to stress the fact that this is something you conceived, this is something that you designed, and this is something that you launched by yourself. So where is it today in 2020? So now we have about 1,700 members. And uh, the majority of them, they are in London. Uh, we have uh, or London or in the UK. And we have recently started expanding in other countries. Um, uh, the first uh, city that is now on board is Amsterdam. Uh, so we have about 200 members there and we're growing slowly. Obviously, the coronavirus has kind of uh, delayed a little bit the plans because a lot of the events that I had planned with quite uh, large organizations have been postponed um, or have been moved online in some cases. And uh, so, yeah, I would say that this number definitely has exceeded my own expectation. Uh, in August uh, 2019, when I was organizing the first event, I thought we would be 20 people sitting around the table chatting and we ended up being eight people. So since then, the growth has been really, really great, which means actually that um, for me, this is a sign that what I felt that there was this gap, that um, there's, there's this gap in communities or in networks that they're more focused on on the person, on the human, uh, is actually true. Yeah, and, and that, that strikes a chord with me, is that um, people are now more open to the ideas of joining network groups than might have been previously the case. But just to reiterate that, you began from scratch, and people listening to this might be thinking, oh my goodness, there's someone who's done what I want to do. And I know that in the past I've made some mistakes. I've struggled with organizing things. I one time expected 40 something people and one person turned up and I paid for coffee and croissant, etc. And I think some people will not admit that, but in a way it's a learning experience. When we start something, there's always the risk that things can go wrong. It will not be perceived properly. People don't understand what's in it for them. What do you think were the ingredients that made this successful so far? Because you envisaged perhaps a handful of people and much more than that turned up. And currently you've 1700 members. I mean, that that's phenomenal growth. What do you think are the ingredients that may that work for you? 
So first of all, I would like to say that I think um, the, the ingredients have changed throughout the time. So when I was doing my first event, um, and the first event was just a networking uh, get-to-know-each-other event because I want to get an understanding of the needs of the people, so then I could plan accordingly uh, events that would be relevant and useful to them. So when I organized that event, I booked a place um, in a... Um, in a pub in London, in a, cen- in, in a central location. And I think that is um, an important ingredient as well. Uh, if you are doing events that um, they're face-to-face event, it's good to pick a location where it is easily accessible to people. I have seen that that impacts a lot the attendance. And what I did before was actually reaching out to my network, reaching out to my friends, talking to them about uh, this new initiative that I was thinking to start. And... Um, connecting with them, as I said. I think the the connection is really important. So I did that out of passion. I I didn't do that with an intention or I have never thought that it would grow so quickly so much. So for me, that was with my, my, my positive intention to help and to support those who needed it. And um, the more I was talking to people, these people were talking to other people. And then the first event ended up uh, being 80 people. Um, And I note that this was beginning of August. So it's not a very busy period in London. A lot of people are on holidays that time. So I think what made the difference in that first event was that uh, I put a lot of myself into that. I put a lot of passion uh, into that. And people, um, they felt that, I think, and they, they, they were there to support me. Uh, it was really funny, actually, because um, a really good friend of mine uh, that she was in the event, um, she told me after the event, I was um, really stressed about how that would turn up for you because you put so much effort. And then I didn't expect that so many people actually would join. And I think that was also my feeling uh, because I really didn't expect such a good turnout for the first event I organized uh, in my life, I would say, for <laughs> outside of corporate uh, setting or birthday parties and stuff like that. But um, I did a lot of work before. I, I I think I had over like 30, 40 coffees with people uh, just sharing my idea and what I'm trying to do. And that um, is what actually led to, to the success of the first event. So that's clever. So kind of seeding the ground, creating expectation, letting people know that you're doing something and in a way encouraging early attendance rather than just going online, posting it and hoping people turn up. Yeah, I think in the beginning, especially when you're trying to build a community um, and the community word is really important because uh, it is based on the relationship that you're going to develop with the people. It is uh, based on the vibe uh, that people are going to feel when they come there was all um, was all initiated by me going out and speaking to people. If I was doing the same thing now that we're in lockdown and a lot of the things are happening online, I would equally arrange a lot of calls with these people or video calls and um, try to give this personal touch. Um, I remember that um, at the end of the event, I actually shared a leaflet um, that um, it was all written by me. Um, I had... Um, kind of like made it nice and uh, spend a lot of time actually creating a nice brochure for them. Uh, it wasn't the typical uh, brochure that you get printed. There was some handcrafting on it. Um, and that a lot of people actually were surprised uh, that I put the effort on creating a hundred uh, brochures um, 
for and 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 in each of them I put like my personal tasks um to make it uh feel more uh welcoming and more uh, and warmer rather than just a simple networking event and when did people get their hands on these brochures before the event during the event or after the event uh, i i was giving them at the entrance so when they were coming but also they were available uh when they were leaving because when we started having so many people obviously i couldn't stay all the time in the entrance and i was going around talking um with uh, the attendees so I had it there available for them to, to take at any time. And I would also suggest them to take it if they wanted to learn a little bit more about what my vision was for the community or the new initiatives that I wanted to do, or even sharing just um, an email that they could reach out if they had any ideas or um, if they wanted to participate in any way in future events. So you put an effort into designing a high quality brochure, which people could take away from them. And also because you gave it to them at the beginning or prior to the start of the event, that kind of set the tone for the quality you wanted from that event? Yes, yeah, so in the beginning, especially for the first half an hour, I was actually in the entrance welcoming uh, each person and introducing myself and asking a question. And then, um, because um, a lot of people in tech are quite introverts, uh, so I've worked in tech for so many years, so I, I quite knew uh, my audience and, and how they behave. One of the things I was doing is um, I was going around checking that everybody is talking with someone and no one was in that networking awkward position where you don't know uh, who to talk to or what to talk about. And then I was just bringing people together and encouraging them to share their stories uh, with the other people that were around. And I feel that created a really positive vibe. And a lot of people actually sent me that as a feedback after the event. Uh, that um, it was on one of the few networking events that they went and they really felt very welcomed and very open to talk um, about their own stories. So tell me about how Deutsche Post and Microsoft come into the story. So um, after that event, um, I was invited by the Telegraph uh, to That's host the Telegraph newspaper for people who are perhaps unfamiliar with that. That's the UK broadsheet newspaper. Yeah, exactly. So they invite me to, to run an event for them as part of the engineering group that um, they're running there. And I was lucky enough uh, to have two amazing um, guests talking uh, during the event. Uh, one was Lawrence Moroni from Google, um, who is the advocate of artificial intelligence, who was flying from the US uh, for other conferences in Europe. So he, he was really happy to join that when I explained to him what my was my vision and what I was trying to do. So he flew in from the States for your conference? Not only, he had yeah. other conferences as well, okay. but he he made time for his in his schedule in order to attend um, the event and be able to give a talk uh, during that. And also I had Carol Johnson, who is the te I was back then the IT director at The Telegraph. She has been promoted since then. Uh, so um, one of the things was demonstrating inclusivity uh, instead of just talking about that. That's why I wanted to have a male and a female speaker. And also that was one of the first times actually I gave a public, um, a, a public speech uh, to a large audience. How did that go? So I was really stressed actually because everything was recorded and live streamed globally. Uh, so we had people joining us also remotely from other countries. Uh, I was um, I was really stressed in the beginning. Uh, and if people search, they can find actually the talk on YouTube. Uh, but I tried to share my own story and my own challenges. 
And I felt really empowered that I had about 170 people in the room in the second event I ever organized. So despite the stress, I think the stress, I think the empowerment and the happiness that I was feeling on that moment uh, was above um, the anxiety. (laughs) So someone's thinking of doing this, having their own event. Tell me about the structure of the day so that people have an actual program that they come in to in the morning, they go through these things, there's some kind of, I don't know, breakout or workshops. How did you structure the day so much so that people came back in greater numbers the next time? So first of all, I after the first event, I had a lot of um, cut-ups with the people who joined and I was asking them their feedback and ideas because um, I wanted to build something that was relevant to them. And actually, a lot of these people who joined the first time, they, are, they have joined all the events that I have organized since then. And I think one of the reasons uh, from that was that I am taking into account their feedback and I'm changing and incorporating and improving from one event to the next one. So, for example, in the Telegraph event um, and in all the events that I organize, there are two main elements that for me are really important. The first element is giving value. So people live with something that might be knowledge, that might be inspiration, motivation um, or or anything else. But I want them to get some value from from the event. And the second part is the networking. So I want them to feel connected and I want them to feel, as I said earlier on, that their story is important and that there are people who are interested in their story. And that's why they should share it. So based on these two is how I'm structuring the events. Normally, um, we start by a 30-minute networking part. I always welcome people with drinks or uh, with pizzas or something like that uh, because I think... um, you know, giving food or uh, drinks, it, it's already creating a more relaxed atmosphere rather than a traditional corporate um, setting. So that's a cost in itself. You've got a budget for that, obviously. Yes, but I would say because all the companies that I have collaborated with so far and all the ones that I was planning to collaborate, they're very happy to to cover that cost. Oh, good. Okay. So they sponsor that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's sponsored by the companies so um um, we start with um half an hour networking then we're moving into the main event and there i have tested out um, a couple of different things um the one is the traditional uh, talks so i have two or three people giving short talks of 15 minutes and i think the duration of the talk is really important as well for the engagement i feel that people after uh, 15 or 20 minutes they get really tired and so it's it's good to have short talks that they are more to the point rather than have one long talk. So I have two or three talks. Um, normally, I try to to time that for about an hour. So the duration of that would be an hour, including a short introduction that I would do about the community and what we, what is our vision, what we're trying to do. And then at the end, um, I leave another hour and this is again networking and also I'm giving the opportunity to the speakers to connect with the audience and people can actually talk, um, talk to them and ask questions they might have. And so, and that's actually the end of the event. So where do you find speakers, the, the kinds of quality speakers that keep the reputation of your event intact? So here I'm, I'm a little bit controversial in my approach, I would say. Uh, and what I'm trying to do is uh, 
I am very actively trying to engage not only the well-known speakers, but also people who are not very well-known in the industry and they are not the, the common 30, 40 people that we would see in the tech conferences, and etc. And that is uh, very much aligned with um, the culture I want to build and the value I want to bring to the people. One of my core uh, messages is that every story has power and that's why each of us has to share their story. That's why I shared my own story at The Telegraph, even though it wasn't something that was coming naturally to me or it's not something that I was doing very often because I wanted people to see that if I can do it and I'm not comfortable around that and it's obviously it's obvious that I have some stress, then it's totally fine for them to do the same. And I felt that so many people came to me and they resonated with what I said and they saw themselves in a non-experienced um, speaker. So in all the events I have, I have speakers who are very experienced and um, they are well known and that is giving credibility to the event. And the way I source them is through my network. And a lot of times I would even uh, reach out to them directly. I am attending events when we could attend face-to-face -face events. And if I like a speaker and I feel that they share similar values to mine, I would go and invite them directly on the spot. And 99% um, and people are very happy to come at an event. I think it's an expectation or it's a fear that we might have that people wouldn't want to talk in our event. But I think if there is um, a mission behind um, it, then people are happy to to help you and participate because they have also started from somewhere. And uh, when they see someone trying something for good, they would be happy to, to support it. Yeah, great. So you have currently, notwithstanding COVID-19 and where that goes, in November you have, is it 200 uh, people lined up for a conference sponsored by Sky News? Yes, exactly. So hopefully that will not need to be postponed. Uh, and by then, uh, all the lockdown and the restrictions um, will not be in place anymore. Uh, so the event is planned for end of November and um, it will be hosted and sponsored by Sky. And they'll be paying for, I think, video recording, uh, audio and food and drinks. Exactly. That's fantastic. Uh, and, and also the event will take place on their premises. Wow. So that's huge. Tell me about the brand recognition that you hope to get from this. Has it helped you in your business in any way, help your own coaching? Yeah, I think definitely. And it's this, this is one of the side benefits that I haven't thought that I would get. Uh, I think, um, first of all, it helped me on a personal level because I was never the type of person that I would be very vocal about the things that I do or I, I wouldn't be, um, as I said, I was not giving public talks before or anything like that, or even interviews as the one we're doing now on a podcast. All these things are quite new to me and they came to me through the community. So first of all, on a personal level, um, going out of my comfort zone and creating that community and building a brand around that helped me to evolve and start doing things uh, that maybe I was more hesitant to do before. But um, also on a, on a business level, it has also opened up new opportunities. I have recently been invited, for example, to deliver different webinars um, in large corporations. And uh, this is under my own brand and the women in tech. So... And this what? is paid work. They're paying you for this. Yeah. Great. Okay. That's nice to hear because so far I understand that you're not charging or at least making a profit from women in tech, but it's your intention to at some point. But for now, it's serving 
not just to bring people together, but also serving to raise your credibility and visibility with your clients and prospective clients. Yeah, exactly. And also, I think um, I have attracted a, a different audience uh, than the one I was working before. So before I was attracting a lot of male um, first time managers transitioning maybe from tech roles to management or leadership or mid-level managers who wanted uh, to transition to more senior positions. But once I started being more vocal around supporting women and empowering women, actually, I did have a lot of women reaching out to me. Uh, so it definitely did make a difference in my in my own business and my coaching practice. But also, I think the fact that I am invited um, to either talk or um, or to give an interview, stuff like that, is already raising my profile. And one of the things that I noticed that uh, was a huge difference for me is that how many more doors are opening to you when you're going as a representative of a community rather than uh, when you're going as an individual. So the the reaction of uh, of people when I was approaching them before um, as a business owner versus now is completely different. Yeah, that makes sense. So you're not just... Uh, someone called Yota Trom, you're the person behind Women in Tech, mm. the Women in Tech Club. So yeah. where would you like this to go next? Because it's a great basis if you've got 1,700 people on your email list and you're now branching out to Amsterdam and Europe. Where would you like this to go if it were to go all the way? Uh, I will tell you my short-term plans and the long-term plans. Okay. I think Short term, um, what I'm trying to do, and this is uh, what I'm trying to build at the moment, is create an ambassador system. So I do have a lot of people reaching out from different cities and they want to run similar events uh, to the ones I am running. So I'm trying to kind of create a structure around that. Obviously, the community is really new. And uh, so far, it has been me running uh, most of the initiatives. Now that I start having volunteers, um, it is amazing because actually I can do more things. So my short-term plan is creating that system so the community can, can expand without me having to be present or me having to invest a lot of time on doing that in a specific region. And um, long-term plans is um, organizing a very big conference, uh, maybe in London, maybe in the US in the future. Uh, that is not, it's a tech conference, but uh, not focused in tech. Uh, that is kind of my dream, uh, a conference that is focused on people, on uh, connecting with each other, on feeling confident, on feeling empowered, uh, all these things that um, are so important in our success, not only in our business, but also in our life. But uh, there are a few opportunities to do that within a business setting, unless a corporate um, is actually sponsoring that. So I want to be able to bring that and make it available to, to more and more people. Yeah, I know that when you and I met at Chris Tucker's event, that was a paid event, a couple of hundred pounds uh, for two days. In fact, I paid for a third day and stayed on, which was really, really useful. Um, would you like to do that too at some point to charge tickets or charge for tickets and have speakers who are paid speakers, not just people speaking pro bono. Yeah, definitely. So that would definitely be um, how I am envisioning that. Also, because it takes a lot of work from a lot of people in order to put this together. And I think it's fair that everybody gets rewarded um, from a financial perspective, perspective as well from uh, their time. And uh, yeah, so far my events have all been free. 
But um, as I said, I never thought it would grow so much, the community, and I would actually need other people that could help me and put effort on that. Yeah, I think it's very exciting because I know of a couple of people who began really small with events and they've grown now to be huge vehicles. People come to them, they fly in from different countries to those events, uh, something like Chris Ducker's or, or Pat Flynn's FlynnCon and, uh, or James Schramko's uh, Tropical Think Tank. There are a bunch of events out there. There is, of course, a danger that, that events that people launch are like just like other people's events, but it sounds to me like you found a real niche here, which is that it's women in tech. It's, there's a coaching and, and learning aspect to this, and people come away not just with information, but perhaps a sensation of community. And of course, that is the basis for growing anything into a monetized conference. It's having an audience that want to hear from you and want to be invited back to events. That's a fantastic start. What else do you think would make a difference to take this to the next level, not just, you know, increasing numbers, but how could you perhaps change the format or tweak the quality that would bring you to where you want it to go? Mm -hmm. First of all, I would like to to add something on your previous comment about what uh, makes an event different and doesn't look like other events. And what I would advise there is for the people who want to organize uh, these events, smaller or larger, uh, is to put their own personality in them. Each uh, of us is unique. Uh, and if we tap on t- into our own uniqueness and we put our personality um, into that and we follow what our heart is saying, what we are passionate about, there is no way that two events are going to look the same because um, the organizer is actually setting the tone and setting the energy of the event. So... Um, when, when people are asking me the question around, oh, how do I make my, my the event more unique? I would say tap on your own skills, tap on your experience, tap on your personality, and then you're sure that your event is going to be unique as you are. Um, and I think that's really important to, to think when you start uh, organizing the, the first events at least. And of course, mastermind groups, there are other things that you can do as well and more than likely will be doing at some yeah. point in the future, charge mastermind groups. So it's a great basis on which to start a community, mm-hmm. getting people along to free talks, small groups, expanding your network, which of course increases your visibility and credibility, which in turn leads to you being invited to other people's events, which in turn helps your own business. And of course, alongside that, you can grow the conferences and the events to a community. Obviously something paid, that's down the line, but for now it sounds like you're doing the right things, which is creating interest before you try and charge anyone for anything. You've got to get enough people to express interest and to want to hear from you and be invited to events. So if I said to you, what is it like five years from now? If you could wave the magic wand, Yota, and it's five years from now, 2025, what does Women in Tech, the Women in Tech Club look like? I think, first of all, I would really like to have a team around me that is helping me to to grow uh, the community. I really love working with other people. So building a team that we work together um, is one of the first things uh, that I am dreaming of. Uh, because I want, I am building a community and I want to, to lead by example. So I want to, to start the community by the founding team. So that is one goal for sure. And then um, I would say global recognition would be something uh, that would be really nice and actually start making a real impact on people's lives, even if that is creating a different wave of how people are thinking or um, 
helping more women to feel empowered and see the the gender gap in technology or even in other industries changing. Um, and if I feel like I can contribute a little bit on that, uh, that will be probably one of my biggest successes and one of my biggest goals. Spoken like a true coach. Thank you, Yota. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for being our guest today on the show. Thank you so much for inviting me. It was great to be here. Many thanks, Yota, for being our guest today and for sharing your fantastic story. I think you're really onto something. And I'm going to stay in touch and to see where you are with the Women in Tech Club in six or 12 months' time. And thanks to you, my listeners, for taking time out of your day today to listen to this episode of the Training Business Podcast. You have some great ideas for episodes and content, so please keep those ideas coming. Your favorite business authors or the kinds of topics you want to learn more about to do with tech or marketing or sales or branding or websites, if it's related to the training business, to your platform, your career, your business as a coach, as a trainer, I'd love to hear from you and I want to hear your suggestions. So send me an email today to mark at trainingbusiness.com. I read and reply to emails personally. There's a fresh episode, of course, next Thursday, episode 94, if that's correct. Let me quickly check. Yes, episode 94. So until then, look after yourself and your loved ones. Summer is nearly here. You're doing well. You're a great trainer. So keep going. Bye for now. once more for listening to this episode of the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Go to trainingbusiness.com and subscribe right now to be notified of great competitions, upcoming VIP episodes, and amazing special offers to help you succeed in your training business. See you next time.